okay, to invite people to Easter service. Some of you that have been coming to church for a while, recently, gotten saved, gave your life to the Lord, you've been telling your family members about it, you know, that change. This is a great opportunity to say, hey, come to my church this Sunday, especially if they don't go. Say, hey, come to my church this Sunday and uh, just be there for me. Just tell them that. Just be there for me. That's the way you coerce them to come in. You know, that get that, hit that little religious nerve. You know, just for me. Tell them, just for me. You don't, have, you don't have to like it or nothing like that. Just come and make me happy. And then once we get them here, the Holy Spirit can grab them. Get them saved. Amen. Change their lives. How many of y'all were religious before you met Jesus? Let me see your hands. Right? So you know that you can, we can reach those people. Amen. So it's Easter Sunday. This is a humongous opportunity. Please take the advantage of Instagram and Facebook and text to, to, to share uh, things from our VWO page, or our Instagram page. Share those. Just share the posts that are already there. Inviting people, tag people, and do whatever you can to get people to come. Okay? Because we're going to get people saved. Amen? I mean, believe that. We're going to have a good turnout Sunday morning. Amen? And this altar is going to be full of people giving their lives to Jesus. And then the following week, we're going to get them baptized. In water, amen. It's going to be awesome. So I want to, I want to talk tonight. Uh, I almost wish I could have told the joke or something to lighten the load. But uh, I want to talk tonight about what Jesus was going through at this time 2,000 years ago. And as we lead into, you know, Sunday is going to be a victorious, awesome celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But at this time 2,000 years ago, Jesus was not having too much fun. And I want to I kind of go in a little bit to some details. I don't think I've ever done this before, and I always love when I do something I've never done. And I want to kind of get you to really think tonight about what Jesus went through. So uh, it might be a little bit somber, but it's not going to be a whole lot of notes probably, but we are going to read some verses. But I really want you to uh, think, because how many know if you, when you hear the story... It's easy to just know, okay, Jesus went to the cross, he was flogged, he was crucified, he died. You know, those are the general details. But when you begin to think of what he actually went through, what it does is it causes you to realize how important it is to live for him. It really helps you understand that every drop of blood was shed for you. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Do you comprehend his love? Do you comprehend his love? And I'll end tonight in Ephesians 3 with a verse that talks about how we can comprehend his love. But I want to start off in the garden. Because before Jesus ever went to the cross, his suffering started in the garden. So Luke chapter 22, if you're there, give me an amen. Verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, 
strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood. Sorry, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Father, for a few minutes, just help us to comprehend the sufferings that you went through 2,000 years ago for our salvation. This is not just a story. This is, Lord, flesh from God taking our place. You coming down from heaven and becoming man and suffering in ways that we could never fathom so that today we could have salvation and ultimately eternal life. Lord, give us that comprehension tonight in our spirits to make us understand more what you did for us and to understand your love for us and in turn to love you more than we love you now. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible says we love God because he first loved us. That, that's why we love God, because he first loved us. We see the love that he had on the cross. I want to begin to break this down a little bit. I want you to think about something. How many have uh, ever had a migraine? Let me see your hands. Lots of people. A headache so bad that you need to be in the dark, that you literally, I can speak for myself because I suffered with headaches a lot my entire life from being a child. I thank God now and give him all the glory that I don't anymore. I do get headaches from time to time. But I suffered greatly with headaches and, and uh, migraines my whole life. I remember being very young and having my mom have to like literally rub my head for a long time just to get it to where I could stand it. So if you've ever had a migraine where you have to turn the lights off, you feel like throwing up, you, you, you can't hear noises, it's just excruciating. And again, for myself, you feel like you would rather just cut your head off not trying to be gross, but that's what you feel like. You just wish you could just not have a head. It's that bad. I want you to understand that the agony, before we ever even get close, even close to Jesus beginning to go down the path of the cross, he has the worst migraine in the history of the world. So bad, because I was looking a little bit about, and please don't be critiquing me on every little detail of my medical details because I'm not a doctor, but I did read a lot. So I might miss a word or whatever, but you get the idea. When you get a bad migraine, your, your veins and your, your arteries and your head are literally uh, uh, bigger and full of more blood and it causes them to expand and it causes them to dilate like your eyes do and it causes pain, excruciating pain. And, 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 there's, and it causes more blood flow to your head. And it causes the thumping that you feel sometimes in your head. Well, he was so bad. And this, this is actually, this is what's interesting. Let me read this to you. His headache was so bad from agony and from fear that he actually had, this is actually a term, hematidrosis, which is actually a rare blood sweat condition. There are a few people who have had this condition, but it's a rare blood sweat condition. Now listen to this. The causes is a condition which the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands actually rupture. 
So Jesus was in such, we have to realize this was not a, a, a situation he was having because he was sick. He was, he was in such turmoil in his spirit as a human being, thinking about where he was going and what he was going to have to go through, that his, that his blood vessels expanded. And it says that what causes this, it, 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 sorry, it causes them to excuse blood. What causes this is severe mental anxiety that causes the nervous system to invoke the stress, fight, or fight, flight reaction to such a degree that it causes hemorrhaging of the vessels in the, in, in the sweat glands. So he was at such a place of anxiety that his, his blood vessels burst in his head and caused them to join with the sweat glands and he actually sweat blood. So we can read something like that sometimes and go, wow, it was really bad. But do you ever like stop and think, man, let me think about that last time I had a migraine. Could it have got so bad that I would actually sweat blood. That was, that was the beginning. And think about this. He's, he's praying, and as he's praying through this, as we go back to the scripture, it says that he's saying, Lord, this is so bad, and I've said this many times, it's so bad right now, can we change this? I mean, think about that. He's, 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 he's getting to that place where, you know, we've all had moments of anxiety. But there's no way for us to understand and I'm only trying to help us a little bit tonight to just in the slightest, smallest way get an understanding of what Jesus could possibly have been going through. But we've all had anxiety, and he was having it so bad that he actually wanted to change the plan. I've been saying that a lot in the last few weeks, especially in this who do you say that I am thing. I want you to understand that Jesus was not a robot, a God robot. He was... He was God in a human body, and anywhere along the way, he could have failed. In the aspect of sinning, which he never did, or beyond not sinning, he could have failed in the aspect of, of giving up or quitting, or like we talked about the last few weeks on the quenching the fiery darts, falling into the temptation of saying, I'll show you who I am. I'm show you that I'm God. At this moment, he literally is just about to quit. That's literally what we're seeing in these words. He's saying, Father, if we can do this a different way, let's do it. If we can change the plan. I'm in some deep trouble right now, and I, I don't know. It's like I, I got to pull out of this. I can't do it. I can't do it. If you've ever stopped doing something you were going to do because it was so scary or so bad, you pulled out. That's what he's doing. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, his spirit ministers to him. And here's the crazy thing. An angel actually came to strengthen him. An angel actually came to minister to him. But even after the angel, follow this, even after the angel ministered to him, he still sweat blood. Even having an angel right there, an actual angel ministering to him, it was still so bad of agony that he sweat blood in his prayers. So that's just the beginning, right, of, of what Jesus begins to go through. And then we know that the story says that Jesus is uh, taken away that night. By the, he's, he says, they're coming for me. And then he knows that that's the beginning of where he begins to really fall into the, um, the pain of going through what he's about to face. Now, I want to I read something that I thought was really interesting. I want to read a little bit 
of a, few, of a physician's view. The, the thing that Brian was saying about that movie, and I, and I say the same thing, please go see it, and go see it now while you can support whoever made it financially. Don't wait till it gets to Redbox or whatever, because we can't help them make more movies if we don't go support them at the, at the box office. It shows the world that we're supporting those things. And the cool thing is about that movie is the first weekend, it made over $5 million, and it was like in the top 10 of movies, and I even read the reviews from skeptic, you know, from the from the secular people, and they can't say anything about it. They they tried, but they're like, it's just facts. That's what they basically said. And and this is a man in this movie who is trying to to prove that Jesus, his death and resurrection and all these things aren't real. And the more he tries to prove it, the more he sees, I have nowhere to go. And so for a long time, people have tried to disprove these things about what Jesus went through. But it's historically a fact that Jesus did these things. And so somebody that was a doctor said, I'm going to go and I'm going to check this out. And I'm going to see what some of the things are that he went through physically. And so I want to read a few things, a few facts as they began to study this out. And and I want to kind of just get you to think about this. First of all, crucifixion is still today and has been since it was invented the absolute have ever have you ever thought and asked why or wondered why why crucifixion i did ever wondered why why a cross why 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 crucifixion the reason is is because it's still to this day considered the absolute worst way to die absolute worst way absolute absolute most cruel way to die and i'm going to help you a little bit tonight to understand why Number one, how many have ever had what we think is excruciating pain? I would probably say that ladies know what that means that have had babies. Okay, excruciating pain. How many have heard that word? It's the the most painful death, the cross, the crucifixion, man has ever invented. And actually, that's where we get the word excruciating from. From the cross. It was reserved primarily for the most vicious of Male criminals, and I'm going to begin to read you a few facts that are kind of amazing. The the crucifixion of Jesus guaranteed to him a horrific, slow, and painful death. Okay, But I want you to think about something before I read you a few facts from the crucifixion. I want us to think about the fact that he's in the garden and sweats blood in such agony right there, and then he's turned over to the authorities, and the night that they take him in, they begin to beat him. Most people don't think about that. They were talking to him, and, 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 and they were at, mad at him that he would not speak. So they hit him hard. And then they began to mock him and mess around with him and, 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 and mock his divinity by placing something over his head. And then they began to hit him again. And, and trust me, these are Roman soldiers. So these are not guys who are just slapping him in the face. They are hauling back and and socking him as hard as they can. He does not know where the punch is coming from. And they're asking him, if you're God, tell us where this is coming from. Tell us who's hitting you. We don't know how many times he was hit that night. We don't know if his jaw was broken. We don't know those those kind of details, but we know that he was beaten in the face that night as, as they just begin to get him to the headquarters, so to speak. So, like I said, we, we kind of we go and, and, and picture Jesus on the cross, but so many things happened before he ever got to the cross that we don't think about. 
And, and, and again, everything he did, every step, every humiliation, every strike, every, everything he did was for you. And for me, I'm not saying this tonight to gross us out or that. I'm saying that so we'll really understand what Jesus did for us. So we'll really comprehend the love that Jesus has for us. So then, after that, they take him before the authorities and the authorities say, I don't know what to do with him, so we're going to flog him. Now, another thing that people, and, I, and I'm one of these people, I used to, I used to kind of, I, I kind of got it uh, twisted when I was younger before I really began to study, is most people think that Jesus was, was, was uh, uh, beaten with the whip or the cat of nine tails 39 times. Because they, 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 they said that in Roman rule that you could not do it 40 because that would be considered death and they didn't want to kill him. That was what happened to Paul. Paul was whipped 39 times. So that he could, so he wouldn't die. They did everything in, in the law to do that to Paul, but Jesus had no limit. There was no, there was no 39 whips. We don't know how many times they did it, but we do know that they did it until that person was literally dead. Literally. Like as much dead, and, and it actually his history will tell you many times when they were flogging people, they did kill them. They just they just died there. And so when, when, when the authorities sent him to be flogged, the idea was that that would be it. That he would get that happen, happen to him, and that that would be it. And, and I'm not going to go into that too much tonight, but I want you to have an understanding that, that, that when they beat him with that thing, and you can see it in the passion of the Christ, when they, when they did that to him, they, they literally pulled the entire flesh of his back off his body. And you can only imagine the blood that was going out of his body, the hemorrhaging that was going on inside of his body, and all of the pain that he's going through, as they did not only just whip his back, but they whipped any part of his body that the thing hit. And again, I, the movie can do a much better job explaining that than me, but I can tell you that I've only seen the passion once. And that's the only time I'm ever going to watch it, because I cannot watch it again. And I can tell you that when it got to that part, I had to turn my head. And I'm thankful that the movie was made. I'm not downing it. I just can't watch it. I could not continue to watch it. And, and I watched just a little small interview today with Jim Caviezel, who was the actor, who, who I don't know where his faith was before he was Jesus in the movie, but he's saved now. He's really saved now. And he was saying that, that he, he and if, you'll, if you'll go watch any of his interviews, sometimes the people that are interviewing him, they're kind of joking or they're kind of being nonchalant, and his, he doesn't joke at all. Like, he's so serious about the fact that, and, and that's a whole other story, just the things he went through as an actor. Do you know he was struck by lightning while he was doing that movie? You know, that doesn't happen very much, right? People don't get struck by lightning very much. He was actually hit by lightning. And he says that he actually got to a point, and I just want to kind of put this in perspective. I'm trying to explain what Jesus went through. He, as an actor said he got to places in the movie where he did not think that he could continue the movie. That he got to places where he had to leave and go pray, and he wasn't even saved yet. He was just, he said, I had to pray in a way that, and it wasn't coming from, he goes, it wasn't coming from here. It was coming from here. Because I literally could not bear what I was doing physically, let alone spiritually, just acting out the movie. Think about that. And so he says that 
uh, that people in the movie, when, they, when they're watching, they turn away. And he said a really awesome point. He said, that's because people, when they're watching that, not only is it gruesome, but people are realizing that that's their sin. That's, that's, what, that's what it did to me when I watched it. Not only was it hard for me to watch physically, it was hard for me to think that I did that to him. That's where you really begin to grasp that this is not religion and it's relationship, is that we all, every one of us, see, they tried to say it was the Jews that killed him. They tried to say that it was this person that killed him. No, we all, the Bible says, we all, through our sins, put Jesus through this. And he did it willingly, like we talked about Sunday morning, as the Passover lamb for us. So he's beaten in that way that I can't even describe. And, and then you realize that that's, that's the day before he ever even goes, because if you'll remember in the, in the story of the Bible, he is now beaten that on, and that night that he's interrogated. He's then flogged to death, literally, where he's, he's barely alive. It's not like they treated him at some hospital that night. Then they take him. This is what's crazy. I, I was reading this, too. They go and they take a robe. Remember the part where they mocked him also, and they put a robe on him as the king? Well, he's full of blood when they do that. And if you think about the material back then, they put this stuff on him, all these robes on him. Then that's when they grabbed the crown of thorns and jammed it into his head. And, and they're mocking him and they're doing all these things and, 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 and spitting on him, pulling out his beard, doing all these things. And then at the end of all of that, before they send him on, they rip the clothes back off of his body that he has had on from being flogged which if you've ever had a scar or, 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 or a tissue on anything that's bled, it just pulls it all back off again. And we think of maybe an area on our hand or our leg or this is his entire back. And then the next day they bring him out again, still with all those wounds, and, and place him in front of all the people. And it's okay that you're crying. That's good. I, I already cried. There's nothing wrong with that. Because there's nothing wrong with getting in the place and really understanding what Jesus did. That's my prayer. That, we, that next time we pray, we pray with a different fervency. We pray with a different appreciation of what Jesus did for us. A different love. So then they bring him out in front of all the people, church. And they stand him there. And, and, and Pontius Pilate is hoping that the fact that they flogged him was all they needed to do. And then the crowd, as he's standing there like that, what do they begin to do? Crucify him. Crucify him. This is not enough. They're standing, they're literally, and in, in in, you know, sometimes we think today, how can people be so full of hate? Well, you talk about hate. You talk about hatred. You're, you're talking about a man who's absolutely done nothing, and he's standing in front of a group, in front of, a group of people, literally unrecognizable, unrecognizable, and they began to chant through the demonic spirits of darkness, crucify him crucify him but at the same time church not only was it through the demonic it was also through the prophetic because God was allowing Jesus to be the lamb that's a Passover lamb for us remember as we read Sunday morning that he became that lamb that went to the slaughter and was silent and did not open his mouth as he's standing there in front of these people bleeding to death hemorrhaging inside dying already he stands there and does not open his mouth as they say crucify him and Pontius Pilate sends him off to be crucified. So all that 
is probably enough. He hasn't even got to the cross yet. And then you begin to think for a second about the fact that now he has to carry what they say is. Is anybody in here weigh 125, 130 pounds? Is there a guy? I don't want to get any. Is there a guy that weighs 130 pounds? Let me pull that back. I know my wife weighs around that. Cole, let's just picture my wife. Okay? If, if you pick up that, that, that weight, that's what the beam caught, caught, weighed that he had to carry. Now he has to carry that all the way to his death physically. He, he's, again, going back to hemorrhaging inside, going back to bleeding to death, going back to being now about 15 hours without drinking anything. Just absolutely, you know, have you ever heard the saying, left for dead? That was Jesus. He was left for dead. Then he gets to the, then he gets to the cross. And I'm going to just run through this part. I want to have, uh, let, me, let me not get ahead of myself, because I want to I I show a visual here in a second. So we know that they, they don't lay him down real nicely on the, on the cross. They literally throw him. And then I want you to think about this. This is something that's also been erroneous for a long time. Take your hand. How many have ever cut your finger? How many have ever pulled the nail off? That hurts really bad. Really bad when you pull it off. All your nerve endings in your body go to your feet and your hands. It's not a coincidence that they used in crucifixion the nailing of the hands and the feet, which is where all the nerve endings in your body end, which is where you'd feel the pain the most. And so they lay them down, and they... You know, most people picture, have a picture of Jesus' hand being crucified or nailed through his hand. It's not possible for that to happen because part of crucifixion was the fact that they would be held up by the nails so that they would have to catch their breath, which I'll get to in a second. So if you think about it, and let me give you a scripture that's really amazing. The Bible says that none of his bones were broken. Psalm says that none of his bones will be broken. So if you'll take your left hand and put it on your right hand and feel right there in the middle, which nurses here could tell you there's a very important vein there, right in that area, right, that main vein that goes through your arm, right there in that close area. They, they went around that. They tried their best not to puncture that because they didn't want them to bleed to death right there. And so they felt the point in the middle there that has no bone, and that's where they put the nail, between the wrists, so that the wrists would be held up. By the nails. So that his body would be held up by the nails. If it had gone through the hand, his hand would have just torn. So in both, both wrists are nails. And then they, they put his, his legs at a 45 degree angle. I want you, Frank to come up here. I did this with him real quick. I just want you to think about this for a second. Put your hands up like I showed you. Put your feet together and do that. And just hold it there for a second. I'm going to literally try to get him to hold that for a few seconds at least. I'm sure he could, you can imagine that pain right there. That's the degree, 45 degrees, that they put Jesus' legs at. So that all the pain, all the pain in his body would not just be on his legs, but it would be in these muscles. Trying to hold his body up. Okay? So 45 degree pain. Is that hurt? Can you imagine doing that for more than a few minutes? Pretty bad, right? Okay, so picture that, and then picture the nails, and then once he gets up there, the worst part begins. The crucifixion, after the 45-degree nails, says weight with, with the muscles of his thighs would be on, on the 45 degrees, which is not a position 
able to maintain for more than a few minutes without severe cramps in the muscles. For a few minutes. We know that Jesus was on the cross for nine hours. And it says for a few minutes in that position, someone would not be able to be in that position without major cramps. All of the weight of Jesus was on his feet. Then you picture, I didn't really mention the, 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 the feet, you picture left foot going over the right and a nine-inch nail going through both of his feet. Same position, in the middle of his foot, in the middle of the bone, same as the wrist where there's no breaking of the bone, but it goes through to hold it up. So now he is literally being held up, and after everything else I just told you, he's hanging on a cross by his hands and feet trying to keep his breath. Okay, trying to breathe. And that's, that's kind of where, now, now I want to ask you a question again. How many have ever had the scare of not being able to get your breath? Horrible, horrible. I mean, even if it's for the smallest amount of time, whether it was in water, whether you had asthma, whatever, where you got the wind knocked out of you. I've had the wind knocked out of me in sports where I could not catch my breath. It is a scary, scary feeling where you cannot grab it. Picture that now for nine hours. On top of everything else I just told you. Within a few minutes of being placed on the cross, Jesus' shoulders are dislocated, both of them, and literally drop nine inches from his body. Which is amazing because in the Shroud of Turin, the, the arms on his body in the picture are nine inches longer than a, than a human body's normal, normal reach. Minutes later, Jesus' elbows and wrists become dislocated. Now, everything I'm reading you is from a doctor. This isn't just some story. This is from a doctor. The result of these upper limb dislocations in his arms, I said that, sorry, were nine inches longer, in addition, prophecy was fulfilled in Psalm twenty-two, fourteen. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. It was prophesied in the book of Psalms. After Jesus' wrists, elbows, and shoulders were dislocated, the weight of his upper body on his upper limbs caused forces on his chest and now inside his chest wall. These caused his rib cage to be pulled upwards and outwards in, a, in an unnatural state. His chest wall was permanently in a position of respiratory inspiration. In order to exhale, Jesus was physiologically required to force his body up. Everything's dislocated. Everything's out of whack. And now just to take, I want you to do this with me right now. I want you just to breathe in real heavy and hold it. Hold it as long as you can. Different people will let it out at different, but I want you to hold that breath. That's, that's the feeling that you're feeling right now that he felt the entire nine hours. That feeling, not the, go ahead and exhale it. Not that feeling, the in, because he was already in that position the whole time. 
And so he literally had to do everything possible with all the pain that I just told you about, all the, all the disconfigurement, to just get up high enough as the back that's been lashed to bone is against wood with splinters. And he's pushing himself up the cross as much as he can. And sometimes we see pictures. I read this today. Sometimes we see pictures of, of the person on the cross just kind of laying there. They are constantly moving to breathe. It's, it's hard for us to grasp that. You know, we, we think, well, he's just, he's just there dying. He's moving constantly to be able to take his next breath. In order to breathe out, Jesus had to push down on the nails in his feet to raise his body and allow his rib cage to move downwards and inwards to be able to expire air from his lungs. His lungs were in a resting position of constant maximum inspiration. Some of you nurses would understand that better than most of us. Crucifixion, the doctor says, is a medical catastrophe. The problem is that Jesus could not easily push down on the nails in his feet because the muscles of his legs, bent at the 45 degrees, were fatigued and cramped and in the wrong position. The process of respiration was excruciating, mixed with, okay, mixed pain with fear. Because every breath that he could not, that he was trying to grab was possibly his last one. That, 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 all these other things going on at the same time of being asphyxiated. That was why the cross was so, so horrible. Okay? Now, I want to add something into this, and I'm not, I, there's like 50 facts, I'm not going to read them all. But I want you to think about something on top of all of this. On everything else I've ever said. Have you ever, yes you have, but I want you to think about it. Have you ever hurt yourself real bad in front of somebody? Bashed a toe, broke something, cut yourself, did something really painful in front of somebody. Everybody, right? It's embarrassing. Because when you hurt yourself, you automatically in your mind think, I don't want people to know I'm hurting. Or, I don't want people to see me cry. Or, I don't want to show the face that my body's feeling the pain of. I say all that to get you to understand that not only did Jesus go through all this. While he's doing all this, he's in front of a crowd of people. And he's literally naked. As naked as he could possibly, I don't know the extreme of that, but I know they didn't have much clothes on. So on top of everything else that's going on, he's not only going through all this pain for me and you, he's being publicly disgraced. Again, put yourself there, what it's like to hurt yourself in front of somebody, and do that for nine hours. And know that your mom's sitting there watching it all too. Hard to grasp. Hard to imagine. He's covered in blood and sweat. The pain from his two shattered median nerves in his wrists that have exploded by now are hurting with every, mo every movement. Physiologically, Jesus' body was going under a series of catastrophic events. Could not main maintain enough ventilation in his lungs. His blood oxygen began to fail. He, he was doing, I'm not, there's words I can't read here that are doctor's words. His rising CO2 levels stimulated his heart to beat faster. 
and faster and faster to increase the delivery of oxygen and the removal of CO2. The respiratory center in Jesus' brain is sending urgent messages to his lungs to breathe faster so he begins to pant. Due to the nailing of Jesus to the cross and his increasing exhaustion, he's unable to provide the oxygen to his oxygen-starved body. Add to everything else I just said, and have you ever seen somebody or, or yourself bled so much that you're in shock? Add that to the story. I don't know at what point Jesus went into shock, but probably after he got flogged. He had drunk nothing for 15 hours. Listen to this. At, at the time of, of the maximum pain he was in, his heartbeat was 220 beats a minute. Which is the maximum that's sustainable to be alive. He was bleeding from all over his body, from the scourging, the crown of thorns, very dehydrated. His blood pressure was probably right now around 80 over 50. He was in first-degree shock. By noon, his heart probably began to fail. His lungs began to fill up with pulmonary oedema. This only served to exasperate his breathing, which was already severely compromised. His heart failure and respiratory failure was now in, in place. Now, I want to close with this without going into any of these other things because there's a lot of medical things. In all of that that I just told you, which we can't even grasp, but hopefully it gives us an idea. Now add to all that that I just said and talk. Talk. Whenever you've stubbed a toe really bad or broke something, you don't want to have a conversation with somebody. Right? You just want to bite your teeth. And, mm, right? But Jesus had to say seven things to fulfill prophecy. Number one, he looks down. Somebody, if you haven't gotten anything yet, you're going to get it now. He looks down, Luke 23, 34 says, on this crowd of people who's been mocking him and watching him die for the last seven or eight hours and says these words, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, can you picture, not alone, not just, not just alone the fact that he's forgiving them, has the capacity to forgive them, but he speaks that while he's trying to breathe. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Number two, as he's dying... His fellow criminal next to him is dying as well. Except the big difference between him and the fellow criminal is all he's doing is hanging by his nail, by his arms and feet. Which is bad. But he has not been through the flogging. He has not been through the mocking. He has not been through any of the other stuff Jesus has. But he looks over and says, hey, Jesus, could you remember me today in paradise? Or would you remember me today? And then Jesus has the power in his flesh to look over at him stop what he's doing which is dying trying to grab breath pushes himself up on that cross splinters in his back again to look over to talk and say today 
you will be with me in paradise. That's only two out of seven. It's not enough that he died. He had to preach. Then he looks down, once again shows his humanity, looks over at his mom, and says, woman, this is your son. And then he says to his disciple, this is your mother. Has the compassion to worry about mom as he's dying. That's in John 19.26. Number four. How many know that's enough already? That's enough. Yet it hasn't gotten to the worst place yet. I know that sounds impossible, but it hasn't got to the worst place yet. Because now, up until this point, all the way back to the garden, he's had daddy holding his hand, so to speak. He's had his father, he's had him, God the Father, ministering to him and standing with him and helping him. But at this moment, the Bible calls the sixth hour, God himself turns his head. Think about the moment in your life, the worst moment. You Just think for a second, don't stay there too long. The worst moment you've ever had in your life, the worst moment of loneliness, the worst moment of darkness, the worst moment of pain, not physical, spiritual, mental, or, or now that you've been saved, a moment where you felt lonely and did not feel that Jesus was there, you didn't feel the presence of God, now all of a sudden, besides everything else, we've, you can't, we can't even really, words don't really do it, now he does not feel the presence of his own father and says, Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you think about the pain there? Not only physically, but now literally, he literally in his mind and his spirit believes God has left him and almost tricked him. Go back to the days we've been talking about in this series on Wednesday nights when Satan came to tempt him. Don't you think for a second he's thinking, I should have took it. Come on, somebody. I should have took it. I should have listened to the devil because he had a way out. And now even God has left me. There's no way to grasp it. There's no way to mentally understand that feeling at that moment that he cries out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? That's only his fourth word. He's now so dehydrated, so bad, in such bad shape, hasn't drank for literally 15 hours. He says the words from 1928 of John, I thirst. That probably is somehow a way for us to grasp. Everybody knows what that feeling is like, to be so thirsty. That you would, you know, people, I'm not trying to be gross, people get out there and they're dying, they would drink anything. Anything. He says, I thirst. And then what they offer him is garbage, and he doesn't even drink it. They offer him vinegar. How many know vinegar does not quench your thirst? Number six. He says the most powerful words. 
John 19, 29 and 30. As they put this hyssop and vinegar up to his mouth, he says the three most powerful words ever spoken. It is finished. It is finished. Those are the words the devil did not want to hear. In church, when he said those three words, he destroyed the devil. He, he, he got to the point where he was able to say, now I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And you have to realize that through all this time, he's hanging on for dear life, as we say. Not just, just to hang on for dear life. He has to finish all these things he had to do. Like forgive everybody. And go through the moment of humanity and make sure his mother was taken care of. And then say, it is finished. Now he's thinking, in spite of everything else, because we can't even fathom what it, was like, what it would be like to be dying like that, because none of us have ever died. Can't even fathom what that would be like. But now we're thinking, not only can I not die, I can't die yet, because i got to finish something. And he says, it is finished. And then the last one, he says, word number seven, in Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he drops his head and dies. So as the musicians come tonight, I hope, as you bow your heads, I hope tonight that this just helped us all a little bit just to stop for a few minutes on this week of passion, this week of the resurrection. We know how the story ends, but we need to stop sometimes and think about what it was like to get to that place where Jesus not only came out of the tomb, but he had to die. There, without the death, we know tonight that, that, that Easter has no power if he does not go to the cross. Now, it's, it's, it works both ways. The cross has no power if he doesn't rise from the dead. But he has to go. He has to finish. And so I can't, I can't, I can't make you grasp this, but oh, I hope. If somebody can listen to a message like this, not because of how I preached, but listen to those details and not be pricked in your spirit, you are in trouble. I hope that you, gra you grab that and you say, God, I am so unworthy of that. I am so not able to comprehend what you did for me on that cross. And I want to read to you as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. One more verse. In Ephesians chapter 3. The word of God says. That Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Listen to this. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, 
and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Sometimes we have to stop and, 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 and painfully read this story and say, God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for taking for granted what you did on the cross for me. It, it ought to cause us to, to stop and say, God, I don't want to sin. God, I don't want to do anything that would put that shame back on you again. I don't want to do anything in, on purpose. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, I know I make mistakes. Yes, I, I, I get angry. Yes, I fail. But God, I don't want to do anything on purpose, knowingly, habitually, that mocks the work that you did on the cross for me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Yes, it's a sobering moment. Yes, it's okay to be, to be quiet at this moment. It's okay because we're comprehending the love. We're comprehending how amazing His grace is. Who would do that? Who would do that for me? Who would do that for somebody that doesn't deserve it? And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to think of one more thing. As he did all of that, everything I just went over, as he did all of that, church, I want you to think of one more thing. He knew that a whole lot of people we're going to reject what he was doing. Think about that. Think about that. How many of us would do that, even try to comprehend doing that, if we knew that every person on the face of the earth would give their life to God and, and everybody would be saved because of that act? We might think about, maybe think about comprehending the possibility of going through that yet Jesus did it listen closely for you for me and let me just add one more thing on top of that he did it while you were a sinner while you were a sinner not when he saw you accept him on the cross or accept him into your life. He did it while you were mocking him. He did it even if you mocked him. That's love. That's uncomprehensible. That's the love that needs to drive us, church, to do his will, to preach his gospel, to tell others that there's hope, and to somehow in the in the, in the slightest way we can, be like Jesus. Because we are his hands and feet. How many of this tonight, as you think about all that, I hope, you don't have to raise your hand enough, but I hope, I hope you're just a little more in love with Jesus tonight. I know I am. I'm just a little more thankful 
whole lot more thankful that he went through all that for me. How many tonight could say, Pastor, I've never put my faith in what Jesus did on that cross. But tonight I want to do it. Tonight I want to give my life to Jesus. Tonight I want to surrender. I want to thank you, God, for doing that for me. And I want to put my faith in you so that I can be like that thief on the cross and be with you today in paradise. How many would say, I've never said that prayer. Pray for me tonight. Just lift your hand and put it right back down. That's me. If you're listening online, you can say the prayer tonight. You can, listen, you can say the prayer right now. You can give your life to Jesus right now, wherever you're at. Tonight, if you're, if you're here and, 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 and there's some things you need to deal with, maybe some anger issues, maybe some unforgiveness, maybe some bitterness, maybe some, some pain you're dealing with, whatever it is, Remember, Jesus bore all those things on the cross for us. And we need to put it on his shoulders. He can handle it. Lord, I lay these things at your feet tonight. Lord, forgive me for, for being unforgiving. Help me to be like you. Those are things we got to work on, church. Those are things we're, we're doing constantly. As we stand tonight, maybe you're here and you've got a migraine. Maybe you've got some pain in your body. Maybe you need a healing touch. Remember that the Bible says that he bore those stripes on his back for our sickness. If you're dealing with some kind of addiction, if you're bound by something, maybe it's something nobody knows about. But you know you're, dealt, you're, you're bound by something that's not godly and it has you. You don't have to tell nobody but Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe tonight that you died on the cross for that and I'm sorry I'm sorry that I'm doing this and I'm sorry that I haven't given it to you and I give it to you tonight. Whatever you need tonight, just remember the love that Jesus has for you tonight. Amen. Let's take some time tonight just to thank him. Take some time just to pray. Take some time just to comprehend how amazing his love is tonight.
church, just thank you tonight. Just thank you tonight. We thank you. Oh, God, help us live a life that reflects you, thank you tonight for your salvation we thank you Lord that you looked down on that crowd of people and said Father forgive them for they know not what they do Jesus help us help us to to remember every day Paul said I die daily I believe that every day Paul remembered what you did on the cross the suffering that you went through Father Lord, we know that you're not on that cross anymore. Thank God. We know that you're not there. We're not, we're not trying to keep you on the cross. But Lord, we, we must understand and comprehend your love through the pain that you went through for us. We know that you rose from the dead, Jesus. But God, we can't truly comprehend your love if we don't see the suffering if we don't understand the suffering, Father, that you went through for us. Jesus, we believe that you are the Son of the living God. We believe that you are the Passover Lamb. We believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets unto the Father except through you. We confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and Lord we give you our lives tonight we surrender to you tonight we thank you tonight Jesus for everything you've done for us because you've given us eternal life and we don't deserve it we deserve death we deserve eternal separation from you because of our sin but God thank you while we were yet sinners you died for us thank you Jesus thank you Father 
As we close out tonight, I want you to think about something. This is not a religious thing I'm going to say. It's just, a, it's just a thing to think about. The Bible tells us, you know, a lot of times when I'm raising my hands and my arms get tired and I put them down, I think, man, God, he, Jesus hung on that cross for so long. I, the least I can do, the least I can do is lift my hands up to him and surrender if it hurts my arms a little bit. It's nothing compared to what he went through. And, and, and if the Bible didn't say that lifting up holy hands was important, we wouldn't need to do it. But it says it. So you don't need to do it tonight. But I challenge you, next service we have, lift your hands. Lift your hands to the Lord. For some people, that's so hard. I don't know why, but maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe it's a humility thing. Well, Jesus was humili humiliated on that cross. And so I lift my hands and say, Lord, the least I can do is worship you with my hands lifted up. So like I said, I'm not saying this for tonight, but next time you're in a service and we're worshiping, just there's something powerful about lifting your hands. It's, I surrender, Lord. I surrender. And, and, and it is just an outward gesture, but it's obedient too. Amen? It's obedient. He lifted those hands, and you picture Jesus on that cross trying to take that breath for us. You say, God, thank you so much that you had your hands up. And Lord, I look up to you tonight as the author and the finisher of my faith tonight, Jesus. Lord, I love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. Wash me clean with your precious blood. Thank you, Lord, that my name is in the Lamb's book of life tonight. Father, we pray for the next few days that they would be days of harvest. Lord, that we would be conscious about other people. That we would invite family members. That we would invite friends. That we would, that we would be not so busy, Lord, that we can't be conscious of lives that need to be saved. Because you died for them on that cross, Father. Your word says that you don't want anyone to perish. But that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and all would have everlasting life. We just pray tonight, God, as we close out for all those men and women and teenagers and kids that need Jesus tonight that we know that are within our reach that you'd help us reach out to them. Lord, and as that verse said, Lord, that you would take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You soften their hearts to receive Jesus tonight. And Lord, we just declare by faith right now that Sunday is going to be a day of great harvest. Not just hands raised and decisions made, but conversions, Father. Lives changed. People we've been praying for for a long time are going to come in and get saved and get changed and transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for these things. We ask you to take us home safely tonight to give us rest. Lord, count us worthy tonight of your precious return, Jesus. Because just as sure as you died on that cross and rose from the dead, you're coming again. And we're looking for you, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many got a good Wednesday night? Praise for the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You're welcome to stay at the altar as long as you want or dismissed officially and love on somebody as you go tonight. Amen. Don't, don't ever think that the altars are closed when service is over. They're always open.